0: The scripture reading for today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 13 through 23. It's on page 808 in your pew Bible. Let us pray. God of our dreams and thoughts, clear our minds today that they might be filled with your visions. Open our eyes, ears, heart, and mind that we may understand and apply your word. In your holy name we pray, amen. Amen. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken about by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children, she refused to be comforted because they are no more. so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Word of God for the people of God.
1: Well, Sam was doing the best he could to recite the Creed with us. That was impressive. (laughs) Well, we are back uh, to Matthew and we're going to begin a series working through Matthew's gospel. And as we do, we pick up um, right after the visit of the Magi. Uh, The wise men have come in, and um, you'll remember um, Herod said, let me know where you find him so I can go and worship as well. And yet an angel warns them, and so they depart another way. And when Herod figures out, he's furious. He's outraged that anyone would not obey. He's outraged and also because he's afraid. He is afraid because there is now this challenger to the throne. And this is the world we live in. When those who have power too often exercise that power for the harm of others, for self-service, exploitation, and oppression, even to the point of incredible violence so that his response is just kill them all just just get rid of all of them that'll that'll take care of it this is a horrific story and i think it's appropriate if this story follows along with the birth of jesus because it reminds us this isn't a fairy tale of how wonderful things are. It's a a—it's very—it's not a fairy tale of, you know, the, this miraculous birth. It's a story to remind us of the sinful, dark world into which Christ came to redeem us and save us. This still is a world where too often people with power use it for their own promotion and protection. Just this week, we hear the death of one who would challenge Putin being killed in prison, having been arrested for a while, that this is still a world where innocent children are killed for the ambition of others. Fortunately, God warns Joseph, take your son and his mother um, and flee. They go to Egypt, fulfilling the the word of the, the prophet Habakkuk, out of Egypt I have called my son Egypt was the logical choice for where they would go. Egypt had a large Jewish population in the city of Alexandria, some estimating even, even up to a third of the entire city. It, it would be the, a close region away from the power of Herod, and so they went there. Um, Christian tradition has speculated that they used the funds that the gold, frankincense, and myrrh provided to give them uh, a way to get away give them a safe passage, give them what they needed. And they're there for a while until Herod dies. But Before his death, he has the slaughter of all those in Bethlehem and around um, being under two years old, killed, and echoing the um, slaughter that has taken place before and would come afterwards. They then... um, After Herod's death, the the family, safe in Egypt, uh, hears word from an angel, and they return, uh, not to stay in the big city of Alexandria, not to stay there, but to return to Galilee. Um, After Herod's death, his kingdom was divided among his three sons, and so he hears of the one who is harsh, decides to go to maybe a safer area in Galilee and goes to Nazareth. And we're told he's called a Nazarene. Now, now some there's debate over what that means. Some think it might be alluding to uh, when there was the Nazarite vow, though there's not evidence of Jesus ever doing that. Uh, there there might have been the idea of Nazar being uh, the word for branch, and so might be alluding to his messianic role as um, the root from the shoot, uh, the shoot from the stump of Jesse, the the branch of righteousness. Or it might have been just because he was a Nazarite, a Nazarene, that he's from a little nowhere town, the kind of thing that we might say, oh, he's, um, you know, um, hillbilly or redneck, you know, just somebody from an area that no one knew. Whatever it is, it, it, it is telling us he's fulfilling all these things that the prophets are pointing to and alluding to. This is historical fact. This is what happened. This is recounting what has happened in Jesus' life. And yet Matthew isn't just telling us because he's telling us everything that happened in Jesus' life. He's telling us and telling it in a way to point to something deeper, pointing to a way it fulfills prophecy and pointing to a way that it's part of our salvation. One of the things we, we see here is Um, Jesus's purpose. You know, there's a a phrase that sometimes is used that Jesus was born to die, the the idea that that he came with a mission to suffer for us and die on the cross. And and insofar as that is true, that, that is correct. He came with the purpose of dying on our behalf to save us. And yet, some almost reduce salvation to the point that the entire point of Jesus's life was only to be crucified for us and reduces our salvation just to having our sins cleansed on the cross. And so it kind of reduces Jesus to being just here in order that he could die, then we're forgiven. And then it kind of, if you follow that line of thinking, then our whole point is just to, well, tell others about Jesus and then wait till we die. Because... We, we forget that there's a lot more to what Jesus did than just going to the cross. And I think this passage reminds us of this because he could have had his life taken here. If the whole point was just to have his blood shed, why not stay in Bethlehem and be killed? Before Christ dies for us, to quote the great rapper Shy Lin, he had to live for us. We're not just saved by his death on the cross, we're saved by his act of obedience, by his life following under the law. And so it wasn't that he just died, he also lived, and there's a sense in which his life is not just he came and was morally good, he fulfills and gathers into himself the entire history of redemption. He embodies the covenant and fulfills the covenant in all that he does so that his life as well as his death is part of our salvation and Matthew is telling us the way Jesus recapitulates redemptive history that's a phrase i hope you can work in someday this week at a lunch meeting or something you know Jesus uh, recapitulates the redemption history what it means is it gathers up all that's been going on here and he does it right god makes covenant makes covenant with a with Adam and Eve, and they fail to keep the covenant. God makes covenant with Abraham. He's not perfectly obedient. God makes covenant with his people and and brings them out of Egypt, and they don't fulfill the covenant. God sends them and continually promises the covenant, and they continue to stumble and fall until finally Jesus is the one in perfect obedience, perfectly keeping the covenant, fulfills the law, fulfills the prophets. He does what the people should have done. And in this way, he represents God's people. He represents Israel. So let me, let's walk through this and see some of the ways that He wants us to see uh, what's going on. That, that is, He is taken into Egypt. Out of Egypt, I've called my son. God calls Israel my son. And the idea of Israel being freed out of Egypt um, is, you know, a picture of that. But it's also Jesus Himself coming out of Egypt so it's no coincidence that just as Joseph brought his family, uh, the Joseph back in Genesis, the Joseph with the amazing multicolored coat, brings his family into Egypt to save them from th- imminent death, that Joseph now takes his family into Egypt to preserve them from imminent death. We, we see this time that he comes now out of Egypt, and he does so... Um, after we, we see Herod killing the infants, he, he does so and comes now, and, and the, the rest of Matthew begins to pick up some images to help us to see what happens after they come out of, um, out of, out of Egypt. They pass through the waters of the Red Sea. Jesus himself, the well, next story will be of his baptism. Um, they will also pass through the Jordan. He pass, he's baptized in the Jordan, that he himself comes through these same waters And then what happens after they enter in, after they come out of the Red Sea is they wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And so the next story we're going to hear after Jesus' baptism is his temptation in the wilderness for 40 days, that he himself is living out this history, but where the people of God have failed in the past, he, the new Adam, the new Israel, the new embodiment of Israel is going to succeed and fulfill the covenant. There's two even bigger themes of this kind of regathering that takes place. The, the first is we should really see Matthew pointing us to Moses. Um, we see that he comes out of Egypt, and um, just as um, Moses was brought out of Egypt, and he does so after the, the wicked king is killing the children, which immediately were thought of in Exodus when Pharaoh is wanting to have the infant boys put to death. And when the midwives don't obey, his throws his just throw them all in the river. That, that is to kill the, the, the infant boys of Israel. And we see this echoed here, um, very much part of the story of Moses, very much part of the new Moses, who is Jesus. Before Moses closes out his book, he promises the new servant, the new prophet who would be like Moses, and Jesus fulfills that role. So even as he comes out of Egypt, um, he does so. When, when the angel tells Joseph, "'Rise, take the child as mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead.'" This is nearly an exact quote of what was told to Moses. You'll remember for 40 years he was in the wilderness. And God came to him and said that those who sought your life are dead. It's the very words. And Matthew even structures his entire book to paint Jesus as the new Moses. If you have a red-letter edition of the Bible, flip through it. You'll notice all the reds are in chunks. We have the Sermon on the Mount. We have the Olivet Discourse. We have all these sections that are long sermons of Jesus that are gathered together. There's five of them. There's five books. And anyone who is familiar with biblical history knows it's, it's mirroring the five books of Moses. He's wanting us to see this is the new Moses. This is the one who's going to redeem us. And there's one other large biblical um, storyline that's caught up in this. So in one sense, he is the one brought out of Egypt, and yet another way, he is uh, in exile. He is cast out um, of the land in exile, which is another large part of Israel's story. Syria takes over the northern tribes. Babylon takes over the southern tribes and takes them away into Babylon where they're exiled for a time. That's what the prophet, Isaiah, uh, prophet Jeremiah is talking about in this quotation. This quotation is from uh, Jeremiah 31. And at that time, it was one of the most horrific events in Israel's history, Jewish history, is the exile where their land was destroyed, where they went through horrific death and loss and warfare. And as they are being led off, the image we have is Rachel, um, that is, the mother of Israel, weeping. She's inconsolable. On a historic level, it is the death of the children in this town. But it's fulfilling a prophecy. And we might be thinking, well, they had returned. This is fulfilled when the, the, the exiles were taken out. They were certainly mothers weeping at the time. But, but Jesus is the greater fulfillment of this prophecy The prophecy is Jeremiah 31. It talks about how God is going to bring the people back from exile, how He's going to restore them to His own kingdom. And in doing so, He talks about those who are weeping. In 31 of Jeremiah, verse 15, thus says the Lord, "'A voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted for her children.'" because they are no more. But that weeping doesn't stay there. It doesn't end with the tears of the mother. It doesn't stop. And so, as Matthew quotes this, he's pointing us back to Jeremiah where it's not just weeping, but there's hope. "'Thus says the Lord, keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for there's reward for your work,' declares the Lord." And they shall come back from the land of the enemy. There is hope for your future, declares the Lord, and your children shall come back to their own country. He goes on and talks about restoring them and bringing them back from the exile. And he closes out this promise in chapter 31, verse 31 of Jeremiah. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Jacob, Not like the covenant I made with their fathers on that day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that was broken, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their heart. I will be their God, and they will be my people." This is God's promise is that He's going to restore us from exile, restore us from being separated from God, being restored from the promises, and bring them back into relationship with Him. And in one sense, He brings them back from the land, but in another sense, this promise is not fulfilled because we're still in exile. We're still in a world of injustice and evil, of darkness and in sin and sorrow and tears. Christ's kingdom is not fully established. There's still this evil that reigns until, even though they come back, there's not this covenant that's made yet. And God is promising that one day there's going to be a fuller hope. It's not just Egypt, but it's all the darkness of this world that we're going to be restored from. Our deep exile from God is going to be over. And that's the hope that we have. And so, about 30 years after this, the baby that survived because innocent children died in his place comes to a table with his disciples, and he picks up a cup, and he says, this cup is the blood of the new covenant. He is fulfilling the promise that your exile from God is over, He's fulfilling the promise that there is going to be a kingdom of light, there's going to be a kingdom of justice, there's going to be a kingdom of God on this earth, so that not only are sins taken to the cross and forgiven, but justice and peace and goodness will be established in His world. Our exile has ended because the new covenant has come, and He went to the cross. Now He is the one who is innocent and dies in our place, fulfilling what even the children's death pointed to. And he has fulfilled this promise. Brothers and sisters, we've been freed from the land of not just slavery, but the land of sin and death and guilt. Your exile is over. You have been brought into his kingdom. There is hope. Now unto him who is able to do more than we can ask or imagine, be honor and glory and power forever. Amen. Let us continue to worship with our tithes and offerings.